Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights, and today is the second Sunday of Advent. It's a season during which Christians observe and celebrate the coming, the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, Katie already stole my thunder, but I'm just going to repeat what she said. Um, this Advent, we're beginning a sermon series through First and Second Samuel, which tell the story of the rise of King David. However, we are reading them through the lens of Jesus' birth story. So we're studying the rise of King David, which foreshadows the birth of Jesus, and we're seeing, we're exploring how the Bible invites us to see Jesus as the subject of ancient prophecy and the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. So, First and Second Samuel record a history of major shifts within the, the religious and political life of ancient Israel. The story takes place in cities, in sanctuaries, in battlefields, in palaces, and yet the Lord begins this story. The, the author begins this story with a humble, barren, small-town woman named Hannah. And her name means favored one. The books we call First and Second Samuel are actually two parts of one book, and so we're going to be teaching them as one story. It's a recreation story. First Samuel opens with worship in the tabernacle. It was just a tent. Second Samuel closes with the purchase of land for a temple, a permanent structure. First Samuel opens with Israel being ruled by judges. Second Samuel closes with Israel being ruled by kings. First Samuel opens with Israel's enemies in power. Second Samuel closes with Israel in power. Again, it's a recreation story. One world was giving birth to another, and so appropriately, the story opens with a woman giving birth. That's what we covered last week. The story opened during a period in the history of Israel marked by unfaithfulness and apostasy. That just means the abandonment of God. Like Hannah, Israel was favored by God, and yet Israel was fruitless. With the birth of Samuel, however, the Lord was declaring to Hannah and declaring to the people of Israel that their sorrow and barrenness were being turned to joy and fruitfulness. This week, we're looking at the song Hannah sang in response to that blessing. Last week, Hannah prayed a prayer of desperation and this week she sings a song of exaltation. Her sorrow and barrenness have been turned to joy and fruitfulness. And I, I wish I had time to, to really explore how Hannah's song foreshadows many of the events that are about to take place throughout First and Second Samuel. It's almost as if Hannah's song is a table of contents for everything that's about to follow. The themes we find here um, crop up throughout the, throughout the story. Instead, though, we're going to have to cherry-pick a few insights. And so to begin, I want to read verses 1 and 10. So Hannah's song opens like this. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Verse 10, Hannah's song closes like this. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 
Hannah's song begins and ends with references to exalted horns. In verse 1, Hannah's horn is raised up, and in verse 10, she looks expectantly for the Lord to raise the horn of his anointed king. In the Bible, a horn is a symbol of strength, victory, dominion, deliverance. And to have your horn exalted means to prosper, to, to triumph over your enemies. The image refers um, to a powerful animal raising its horns in victory over an adversary. Okay? Hannah is praising God because she has been delivered from her sorrow and barrenness. She has the son she prayed for. And yet Hannah seems well aware that the birth of Samuel was much more than just a personal blessing. In the Bible, when the Lord opens the womb of a barren woman, he is beginning to act for his people. Hope and blessing are on their way. We see this time and time again. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth. And then we see something similar with a virgin woman named Mary, right? And so Hannah's song is about a social revolution. The mighty are defeated and the weak are given strength. The full go hungry and the hungry are fed. The poor are made rich and given power and authority to rule over the wicked. And that's precisely what First and Second Samuel are about. God is going to defeat Israel's enemies and bring a social revolution, causing his people to walk in righteousness. And how will he do this? He will do it by exalting the horn of his anointed king of Israel. I'm going to say that again because we're going to hear it again. God is going to defeat Israel's enemies and bring a social revolution, causing his people to walk in righteousness. And how will he do it? He will do it by raising the horn of, of the exalted king of Israel. And so Hannah's song is more than just a song of thanksgiving. It's also a prophecy. Israel's enemies would soon be defeated. The rich and full would soon be brought low and made to beg for bread. And Hannah's son, Samuel, would soon raise a horn of oil to anoint the king of Israel. Okay? Spoiler alert to Christmas Eve. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 12 and 13. And the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. That's our sermon series title. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel actually filled a horn with oil to anoint the coming king. To anoint just means to, to pour an ointment, an ointment upon a person or thing. And the ritual was intended to set David apart for a divine purpose. Just as Hannah predicted, just as Hannah prophesied, the birth of her son meant the coming of a new king. In fact, at, at the very end of 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 22, at the very end of this recreation story, King David sings a very similar song. 1 Samuel opens with a song by Hannah. 2 Samuel closes with a song by David. 
and the content overlaps. David's song is also a song of praise. He sings about life and death, salvation and deliverance, victory over enemies, the proud and the humble, exalted horns and anointed kings. And so whereas Hannah's song is prophetic, telling us everything that God would do, David's song is a summary of everything that God did do. Both songs affirm that God is the source of empowerment and victory for those who love him and fear him and the source of judgment for those who rebel against him. Both songs repeatedly show how the, how the Lord exalts the humble and the weak. God does some of his best work through overlooked people and things. God does some of his best work through overlooked people and things. The Lord uses dozens of seemingly insignificant conversations to heal a hurting marriage. The Lord used ordinary men and women, long forgotten, to preserve the gospel for this generation, for us. The Lord uses thousands of midnight inconveniences to nurse an infant into a toddler. The Lord, use, the, the Lord uses kind, attentive teachers and coaches to change the course of young lives. The Lord extends his welcome to our neighborhood through our greeters every Sunday. I distinctly remember who greeted me my first time visiting Sojourn in 2010. The Lord serves our children through Caitlin's Tuesday minutia. Caitlin is our Sojourn Kids coordinator. The Lord communes with his people through tap water in a horse trough, bread from the bakery down the street, and Kroger brand grape juice. The Lord uses thousands of unseen carloads to feed and clothe our city after Hurricane Harvey. What is man that God is mindful of him? And yet, God's sovereignty is precisely why your normal, ordinary, sometimes boring job is eternally significant. Because he is sovereign, because he's in control, he's using what you don't think he's using. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. The meek shall inherit the earth. God does some of his best work through overlooked people and things. A weak and poor slave nation rises to power. A barren woman gives birth to a prophet. The youngest of eight sons is anointed king. A shepherd boy defeats a giant. A newborn baby born in a manger is the fulcrum upon which human history turns. But, before we go there, I want to take one more look at Hannah's song. Verse 5, it's going to be the second part of verse 5, 5b, if you will. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. So, I would argue that this is the focal point of Hannah's song. I think the content, the context, and the structure of this poem are pointing to this line. But here's the thing. 
Hannah sings that the barren woman will bear seven children, but the Lord only gave her six children. Verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Now, if you count Samuel, that's four sons, two daughters. That's six, not seven. Now, maybe Hannah wasn't referring to herself. Maybe she, she just used the number seven because it's a number of completion and, and perfection, and I think that's legitimate. Uh, she's, not, she's not singing nonsense just because it rhymed, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> but immediately after Hannah sings this song, the author of this, this passage of divinely inspired scripture makes a point to tell us how many children Hannah ended up ha- having. It's an unnecessary detail. So that leaves us asking the question, who is the seventh child? We are left expecting another child. And so I think we're right to read this as pointing forward to King David. I think we're also right to read it as pointing forward to King Jesus. Because Hannah's song finds partial, temporary fulfillment in the life and ministry of King David but it finds total, eternal fulfillment in the life and ministry of King Jesus. Let's turn to Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. They'll be on the screen behind me. This is a song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings after being told by an angel that she would give birth to the Messiah. As you might expect, there's gonna be some overlap here with Hannah's song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. We're about to sing that song, by the way. Holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So, like Hannah, Mary knew that this was more than just a personal blessing. Even though she was a virgin, the Lord was opening her womb. The Lord was acting on behalf of his people. God was going to defeat Israel's enemies and bring about a social revolution, causing them to walk in righteousness. And how would he do this? He would do it by anointing the horn of his anointed king of Israel, Jesus. And so here we have two women, two miraculous conceptions, two songs of praise, two obedient sons. Both Hannah and Mary rejoice at the birth of an unexpected child, and both women end up handing over their children to the service of God. Now, parents, everyone, really, the examples of Hannah and Mary are not exceptions to the rule. They are the rule. Your child may never anoint a king, 
your child will never be crucified and resurrected for the sins of God's people. But your child belongs first to God. Christian parents are called first and foremost to give their children to the Lord. He calls them his from their earliest days. And we should parent them accordingly. We as a church should parent them accordingly. This responsibility cannot be reduced to dropping them off at Sojourn Kids or praying a bedtime prayer or sending them to private school. This is going to require everything you've got. Just as Hannah presented Samuel for service in the temple, we present our children for service in the temple. Ephesians 2 calls the church a temple. 1 Peter 2 calls the church a priesthood. And so, Christian parenting is about living and ministering in the temple, living and ministering in the church, and then turning to our children and saying, follow me, watch me, do as I do. Consider the faith of these two women. Consider their, their readiness to submit to the will of God, despite the fact that it wasn't what they had planned. Hannah was the barren of two wives. That's terrible. Her husband more than likely took a second wife after suffering through years and years of infertility. Imagine the pain and the shame of that. Mary was a pregnant teen out of wedlock. She wasn't ready to have a child. Although he, he was perfect, but this was the ultimate unplanned pregnancy. It was the ultimate unplanned pregnancy, but she praised God nonetheless. Both of these women sang songs of praise and thanksgiving. They stepped out in faith. <coughs> so, sorry. They stepped out in faith, and they both got front row seats to seeing what God was doing, to seeing God fulfill his promises to his people. So, <clears throat> how do these songs teach us to observe the season of Advent? They teach us to praise God for his holiness and his deliverance. And I think they teach us to pray to God for a social revolution. We should pray for the Lord to exalt the humble and the poor, to feed the hungry, and we should prepare ourselves to join him in that. We should pray for the Lord to grant revival and fruitfulness, to open the womb of his bride, so to speak, to open the womb of the church who is our mother. We should pray to the Lord for faithfulness and unity as the people of God. We need his help to be the church he's calling us to be. And, we should pray for the Lord to exalt the horn of his anointed king here in the Houston Heights. We should pray that King Jesus might extend his rule and his reign into every home, into every heart. Advent reminds us that Jesus has come, but it also reminds us that Jesus is coming. His kingdom has come, but his kingdom is coming. We still need the Lord to act on behalf of his people to act for us. 
So Hannah's song teaches us to, to appreciate the full scope of Advent. Jesus was a real baby born into a real world. He's not an idea. He's an actual historical figure. Which means that Advent is about more than Jesus coming into our hearts and changing our hearts. It's also about Jesus coming into our world and changing our world. Like the birth of Samuel, the birth of Jesus sparked a story of recreation. One world was giving birth to another. Advent is about more than the advent of a new king. Advent is about the advent of a new kingdom. And, and as citizens of that kingdom, for the past 2,000 years, we have participated in a social revolution. In Acts chapter 17, an angry mob of people in the city of Thessalonica approached the Roman authorities accusing the Christians of, of claiming allegiance not to Caesar, but to this guy named Jesus, who they claimed was the true king. But it's the way they describe the Christians that I want us to see. The angry mob goes to the authorities and calls the Christians men who have turned the world upside down. Isn't that what Hannah sings about? Isn't that what Mary sings about? The world turned upside down. The opponents of early Christianity referred to Christians as men and women who turned the world upside down. These people who recognize Jesus as their king have turned the world upside down. These normal, ordinary, overlooked men, women, and children have brought about a social revolution. So the advent of King Jesus is a powerful, powerful thing. It was Israel's only hope for the future, and it is still our only hope for the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, this church. Thank you for <clears throat> sending your son into our world for us. You are our only hope for the future. Um, and so, God, we, we ask that, that you would exalt the humble and lift the poor and feed the hungry. We ask that you would bring revival and fruitfulness to our neighborhood, to our city. We ask that you would make us faithful and unified as your people. And we ask that you would exalt the horn of your anointed king. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.